0: Hi, guys. We have an exciting merchandise update for you.
1: We have a store opening in August with some super cool items that we're excited about.
0: And we're going to get you details as soon as possible. Sometime in August, it's going to be opening. And as soon as we know the exact date, we'll let you know here and on social media. So be sure to keep an ear open. Squee! I'm Lauren and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to IntroVets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Welcome, everybody, to IntroVets Podcast. What up? The snack episode?
1: The tiny one.
0: Today, I'm going to share some information with you guys about a mental health topic. We are not going to talk in detail about compassion fatigue because we've already done that. So do not push the delete button or <laughs> anything on your podcasting compassion app. Compassion fatigue okay. might
1: be a bit... Con- with that. You'll, you
0: guys are fatigued from hearing
1: about compassion That's fatigue. That's what I was trying to say and it didn't come out
0: right. <laughs> I See, we knew We knew what you were
1: saying. JJ, we compassion fatigue is fatigued. There we go.
0: That's right. Compassion fatigue fatigue. T.M. <laughs> you heard it here first. Okay. We're actually going to talk about professional identity and core identity and veterinary medicine as a calling and things like that today. Oh, boy. So, we've talked a little bit about identity before on the podcast, specifically with Dr. Funken. Uh, I think in maybe all of the episodes we've had with Dr. Funken, we've touched on work as a calling a little bit. I think revisiting those episodes would be really helpful if anyone has any questions about things like compassion fatigue or sort of the basic terminology and concepts that we're going to be discussing today. Uh, But I don't think that you have to go back and listen to them to be able to appreciate this episode. So, work as a calling. JJ. Yeah. What do you imagine would be some pros some positives about viewing your work as a calling?
1: Um, I would think you would be super passionate about it. Probably be super driven um, to be successful. Sure.
0: Yeah, if you're really passionate and care a lot about something, then the success of that venture matters a lot to you. So you would then do a good job with your patients, probably.
1: Hmm. Um. Probably because you do care so much, that would be excellent patient care. Hmm.
0: I think so. I think viewing work as a calling might be helpful in simply getting through veterinary school or veterinary technician school where you have to really buckle down and learn a lot. You've got to do a lot of clinical hours. It's very intense and exhausting um, schooling. It's not for the faint of heart. So if this is veterinary medicine is just something that you're like meh about, then it's you know, it would be difficult, I think, to be successful academically in this field. Yeah. So it could help you get where you want to go career-wise, potentially. And it just help
1: you get through the day. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because you're not like, ugh, ugh I super hate what I'm doing all the time. You have like mm-hmm. a higher purpose in what you're doing. Okay. What about disadvantages of work as a calling?
1: It can consume your life and become the only thing you're known for.
0: That's true. That can interfere with your relationships. Mm, your health. Yeah, your health, absolutely. Your yeah. like ability to have time to do anything else uh, in life.
1: And it can lead you right down the path to burnout. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I don't know
0: that work as a calling is a specific driver of compassion fatigue as far as like what we've researched, but to me, it makes sense so mm-hmm. i'll I feel comfortable saying, like I think that's my strong opinion, you know, yeah, because I think that when you have uh when you have this view of work as a calling that is kind of an idealistic view, and idealistic expectations about how this work is going to affect you is a risk factor for compassion fatigue, so I think it definitely could be related,
1: yeah, it could definitely be a problem if it becomes your entire identity.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So
1: when we think
0: about our core values and our personal identity, if work is making up the biggest portion of that pie, then it puts you at risk for some specific problems. So in that situation, what you're trying to do is combine a passion for, for this field with your work, which is something that you know, in our current society and how it's structured is really for economic production. So you're tying this thing that you're very passionate about to your ability to like pay rent and like <laughs> feed your family, right? Also, uh,
1: slope and vet med.
0: Right. And that comes with a lot of pressure then. So this thing that is so important to you, now you have to keep doing it and doing it well to like make a living. And if you're not being well compensated financially, which has unfortunately been, you know, an ongoing issue in the veterinary world for both veterinarians and support staff for a long time. And veterinarians, I think, is getting a little better, but support staff, I think, is kind of lagging behind. Like, if you're very driven and this is your whole identity, it can be very difficult to make a change that you need for your survival, like economic survival, I mean.
1: Yeah. And unfortunately, to be able to make enough money to just, you know, live, a lot of times you have to take on second jobs. And most, a lot of times they may be in the same field. So you may be moonlighting on the weekends at an emergency clinic and then working a full 40 plus hours a week at a general practice. So it's hard for it to not become your identity when that's the case.
0: Absolutely. So aside from this pressure, you might also feel some guilt. I'm unable, for whatever reason, to serve my patients to the best of my ability, and that can become very emotionally challenging to deal with if this is part of your main identity.
1: Are you starting to feel guilt about the fact that you haven't had a real conversation with your significant other or family in weeks because you're... Wake up, work, go to sleep, repeat. Mm -hmm.
0: I remember early in my career, before I had um, learned anything about boundaries at all, and I had none of them, We, uh, my partner and I at the time had tried to meet once a week for like trivia night at a Mexican restaurant. And I remember that it was a big problem in our relationship. And when we had consistent arguments about me being late to that, or me missing it because there would always be a case. There would always be one more chart to do, one more phone call that I have to make, one more emergency that came in. And it was like, you know, it would have been different if it was once a month that I was later, maybe once in a blue moon that I missed it, but it was pretty consistent. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was really frustrated at that time but looking back, I'm like, no, that was, that one was my fault. <laughs> that, that was on me. Uh, that was on me. <laughs> that was definitely a work as an identity type of problem.
1: It happens. It does.
0: Yeah. But, you know, you can recognize it and, and move on. But if you let work become the priority over everything else and it becomes the biggest piece of your life, your relationships, your self-care, your personal fulfillment, all of those are smaller pieces of the pie, and they take a back seat, and that's a problem. The reason that it's a problem is that there are numerous ways that we can have some sort of interruption in our work, professional identity, day-to-day working situation, okay? So things like Sudden job change. Either I recognize I have to leave this job and do something different, or maybe we get laid off. Maybe we get terminated. Maybe our spouse is moving and we have to quit this job and get one in a different state. Any sort of major change in the job could create an interruption. If you develop compassion fatigue or burnout, that's a type of interruption. If you're experiencing moral distress, again, that means If you feel that there is one specific avenue that you need to take ethically and morally to help a patient and you're prevented from doing that, either because of a mandate from the client or a mandate from like administration, um, then that leads to this feeling of moral distress. I know the right thing to do, but I'm being prevented from doing it or even things like medical errors, which. Though we can enact protocols in the practice to reduce the likelihood, you can never completely eliminate them. Any of those types of things which are just like almost expected to happen in the course of a veterinary career, they count as interruptions. And if work is our identity, if this career is our identity, then instead of one of these disruptions being like a no big deal thing that you can bounce back from really easily That you're super resilient about, and are like, "Well, shit, I made a mistake. You know, I'll hop back on the horse and do better." Or, um, my job is changing. I'm going to make the best of it. Instead of making those sorts of decisions about how to handle the situation, instead, there's not just a work disruption, but a disruption of our entire personal identity. So we like have Mm -hmm. an identity crisis, and that can cause depression, anxiety, substance use. It can be very lonely to feel like uh, your identity has been taken away from you, and you might experience things like intrusive thoughts.
1: <laughs> yeah, don't know anybody that has those.
0: <laughs> JJ, here's the good news. Most people have intrusive thoughts. <laughs> Let's take a quick side. Like, I don't know if we have fully talked about this.
1: mm <laughs>
0: I'm getting to the point where there's so many episodes now of this podcast that I can't fully remember what we've gone over and what we haven't gone over. Carl, same. I just recently had to make a list of all of our episodes in the general topics so that I would not accidentally repeat a type of case <laughs> because I can't remember. I mean, we're like, it's pretty high episode number that we're at now.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. It's year four
0: it's year four. We do 30 episodes a season. So that means that sometime this season we'll hit episode 100. We should probably, like, have a party or something. Anyway, we'll get I a like cake. <laughs> um, <laughs> Cake! <laughs> so, what were we talking about? Intrusive thoughts. Let me tell you, every single person has had intrusive thoughts at some point, I promise. Now, we don't talk about it a lot, right? It's embarrassing, or we kind of feel like, oh, they're going to, you know, put us in the paddy wagon and take us to the loony bin or something like that. But, and sure, you know, in movies and in the 1960s, maybe we did have that, you know, realistic worry. However, these days, intrusive thoughts are not handled that way. Intrusive thoughts might be anything like very scary images that come to you uh, that you don't enjoy. All of a sudden, you might just be maybe trying to go to sleep at night and you're flashing on things that maybe happened during the day. Maybe it was a very terrible trauma case that you saw, or maybe it was a case that went really well, but you're imagining all the things that could have gone wrong with it. Intrusive thoughts might also include things like suicidal litigation, which are these thoughts of, you know, other people would be better off if I wasn't here anymore. Um, I could just drive off this bridge. I could just run in front of this bus. You know, um, I don't want to be here anymore. And so intrusive thoughts are very common. They are something, though, that we need to take seriously. And if our work is our identity and we have this extreme blow to the self, to the ego, to the identity from this any type of disruption at work, then it can make anxiety and intrusive thoughts uh, increase in frequency. And that can be dangerous even.
1: Mm. Yeah, as you was reading off that list, I was like, yep, yep, check, check, check. (laughs) I guess something else that kind of goes along with the intrusive thoughts would be, um, uh, what is it called again? It was in my head the whole time you were talking, and now it's gone. Imposter syndrome. To me, that kind of goes along with intrusive thoughts a little bit because, you know, I'm not I'm not any good at this. Like I, I I, you know, I might have hit this vein like a rock star on this day, but this other person they can do it like five times better than I can or I just, I'm just a crappy tech. I just can't, I can't do the things that nobody likes me. None of the doctors want to work with me. It's, yeah, good times. I
0: think that although they're, uh, they are different concepts. I think that if we're experiencing anxiety and depression, imposter syndrome would be very easy to slip in there too. Mm -hmm. Imposter syndrome would be this feeling of, um, I'm it, I'm a sham, you know. Mm-hmm. Any minute now, someone's going to find out that I don't know what I'm talking about. This idea that everyone else is more capable than you, and the imposter syndrome part being that that's despite tons of evidence that you are, you know, highly skilled, that you have substantial training, um, and all of those things. So it wouldn't be like maybe I can't fly this airplane if I've never had any training. That would just be like a rational thought. Uh, But uh, imposter syndrome would be like, I am an accomplished pilot having flown one gazillion, zillions, a billion hours, but what if every other pilot is way better than me and eventually someone's going to find out that I'm not any good? That Mm -hmm. would be an example of imposter syndrome. But uh, if we're having those thoughts... That's a great example of a potential disruption for work. So work is our identity. Now we're having these uh, feelings of imposter syndrome that could be a big of enough disruption to then disrupt personal identity if work is the whole or most of the pie there. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, indeed.
0: So I think the question then is, what can we do about this? What can we do to try to make sure that we don't let work become our identity? I think it's fine to have work as your calling and even to prioritize it, but we have to recognize that it's not our core self and it's just a part of our core self so that if and when something happens to disrupt it, we have the ability to move on. The first thing that comes to mind for me, and this is going to be beating a dead horse a little bit, is (laughs) self-care. Okay. (laughs) Self-care. For anybody that wants a primer on self-care, the first two episodes of season three of this podcast would be a really good place to start. And then I would say any of our episodes with Dr. Fonkin or Dana, really any of the therapists that we've had on the podcast would be good to listen to if you want to know more about self-care. And we're not going to go back over all of these skills now. But keep in mind that self-care is the cornerstone recommendation for any type of um, mental health issue because you have to put your own oxygen mask on first. Okay, Mm -hmm. Uh, you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. I know that there is this sort of faction of veterinary medicine that gets really amped up in in a negative way when we start talking about self-care. So I do just want to, you know, give some disclaimers here about that. Uh, so I just want everyone to remember that when we're talking about self-care, we are not being dismissive. In other words, we're not saying if you took care of yourself, you would have no problems. You wouldn't have mental health issues because that's obviously not true. Okay. I can't promise that other people aren't driving that message, but that's not the bus we are driving here at Intrepid. okay? I promise you that. The other thing would be that self-care is not something that you owe to other people, okay? So sometimes people sort of send the message that if you're going to be a, quote, good veterinary worker, you need to do self-care so that you can keep showing up for your manager or something like that. That is also not what I am saying. And I think that is super gross. And we need to put that in the trash can. Okay, so
1: boundaries.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. Self care is something that you do for yourself. It's not something that you're obligated to do to enable yourself to keep working harder or to bootstrap it or put your nose to the grindstone or whatever expression you want to use. And I just want to remind everyone that there is no ethical or moral element to self-care. It does not make you a good person. It simply is a collection of practices to best support yourself. And it can keep you healthy. You don't owe healthiness to anyone else. You only owe it to yourself. So don't let anyone pressure you. And I am now changing topics and off my soapbox there.
1: (laughs) So what can we do
0: besides self-care? Well, I think that establishing a strong sense of self and personal identity is a fantastic place to start. And I have brought information today about three core skills that you can use at home. You don't have to see a therapist or anybody else to do this. You can do this on your own time to help um, sort of crystallize what your identity is. And then you can use that to determine the answers to major decisions that you need to make in life. You can use it to help construct goals if you're a goal-oriented type of person. I recently spoke at a veterinary hospital where one of the uh, staff was very anti-goal, was, was like, hey, goals in me do not get along. I hate goals. They stress me out. I've never found them helpful. I just decide to do something and do it but I'm not for goals. And I was like, okay, like, if you don't like them, then don't do them. And I feel like people kind of went oh, in the room. And I was like, well, look, I mean, a goal is something that you use to help yourself. It's a tool that you have in our toolkit. But if goals don't work for you, then don't keep trying to use them. Like,
1: yeah,
0: it, you know,
1: I so, can not relate to that. I yeah. kind of find that they're helpful for some things in my life, but for others, it definitely stresses me out because I feel like I am i have to do it if I set the goal. Mm, and then yeah. I get into that cycle of, if I don't do it, then I'm a f- failure. And oh. so then I just go into the whole, like, I'm just not going to do it, even though I kind of want to do it, but I don't want to fail at it. And then I don't do anything. Oh, dear. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, that would be a problem. That would be a really good reason that goals might not be what we want to aim for, mm-hmm. right? But if you're goal inclined, it can help drive your goals. Or we sometimes people like to use the word intention, setting an intention a little bit better than goal. And if that works for you, then do that. So three skills. First one is a creating a core identity chart. Okay. So a core identity chart, is going to be some type of a graph. I usually use a pie graph. You do not have to do a pie graph. You can do any sort of percentage-based graph that you personally like.
1: I like pie.
0: You like pie. (laughs) Me too, right? (laughs) So we'll give that as an example. So in the core identity exercise, the first thing that you would do is take some time, you know, devote some time to it, make a list, of all of the identities that you have in life, okay? And we're not talking about things that are like obligations. We're not talking about things other people want you to do. We're just talking about truly when you think about it, what are your identities based on your values, okay? So this isn't a comprehensive list for me, but if I was going to make a list, I would add things to it like veterinarian. Therapist, investigator, daughter, sister, aunt, athlete. Okay, so that's not my whole list. Some people might have a few, just a handful, and some people might have a gigantic list of 20 or more. All of that is up to you because it's your pie graph. Okay, literally, it's about you. (laughs) So once you got your whole list together, then you would look and see, okay, not right now. Not in the past, but ideally for the future. How do I want this to be distributed? And you start playing with the percentages. You only have 100%. So if you've got a lot of categories, you might find that some of them have to be pretty low to fit them all in. So this exercise sort of helps you see in a perfect world, how would your identity be proportioned, right? There's no wrong answers there's no right answers. It's literally what you personally would would like in the future that you see for yourself. Now, it's important to note that that pie chart might change over time. So if you made a core identity chart when you were a teenager versus in your early 20s versus middle age versus older adult, you probably would see that it would dramatically change every time you made it. So this is not a static thing. It uh, is flexible, okay? It's flexible over time. But this can give you an idea of where your values lie and where you would like to be spending your time after you have completed it. Then you can go back and create a time and energy map. To do that, we're going to use the same identity categories that we put in our ideal pie graph. But instead, it's going to represent the percentage of based on what is happening in reality in your life right now. <laughs> and those pie charts often look very different from one another, but you can use the differences between those pie charts to sort of say, where am I now? What's the difference between where I'm at now and where I'm wanting to head? And then you can start to kind of see, well, what steps can I take? You know, if I'm at 65% veterinarian right now, and, and I, my ideal is like more like 30% veterinarian, what sorts of steps do I need to take in my life to make that happen? Alternatively, if I'm at 5% ant right now, and I really want to be at 15% ant as far as like my time and energy goes, what can I do to increase that time? So it just gives you a direction to go. What do you think about that exercise, JJ?
1: Um, I think I could find it helpful, especially you know it may bring to light things that I I feel like I I didn't know that I needed to devote more time to, and it might help alleviate <laughs> having one thing consume you completely.
0: <laughs> well, it can definitely be eye opening. <laughs> it can <laughs> definitely be eye opening because sometimes people will even kind of have this idea of like, yeah, veterinarian or veterinary medicine is my main identity. Um, But then when you start to list all of the other things that are important to you, you kind of see like, wait a minute, this actually isn't my whole life. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it can be a little bit of a reality check that we need to kind of be like, let's snap out of it because because our ideal self would have more than one identity and it would be other things that uh, don't relate to work that would be in that pie graph along with it. Okay, the second thing that you could do at home without a therapist to sort of answer the question about your core identity and your values would be to use a technique from solutions-focused therapy, which is my favorite type of therapy to practice. And this is something called the preferred life. So in solutions-focused therapy, everything that we do sort of comes back to what sort of life does the client want to design for themselves? So you can start by asking yourself that question what is my preferred future? What would it be like? And sometimes people have a little bit of trouble kind of coming up with that. So there's a secondary question called the miracle question that can help sort of define this preferred future a little bit better. And that miracle question goes, if you woke up tomorrow, and magically overnight, with the flick of a wand, your problem or problems had been completely solved. When you woke up the next morning, how would you know that those problems had been solved? Wouldn't be worried about them. Okay, yeah, you'd be less anxious.
1: What else? Mm-hmm. You'd be more relaxed.
0: Yeah, more more peaceful. Mm-hmm. Okay, so less less anxiety, less stress, more peace just upon waking up. What else?
1: Um, it would free you up to do other things you wanted to do or think about other things you want to think about.
0: Yeah so you kind of be able to give yourself permission to do other things that's great and we won't get into the specifics cuz sometimes preferred future can be very personal and we're not going to go there today on our episode i'm not going to make jj share her perfu- preferred future with uh with the whole <laughs> internet okay <laughs> but but Thanks, i think ma'am. that i think that the things that you listed right there will really resonate with a lot of people thinking about this question Because no matter what problem it is that could potentially have been solved, uh, I would bet that decreased stress, um, more peaceful feeling would be a very common thought of what would be different about the life if the problems were gone. So we can use that to sort of say, okay, you know, what would that future look like when this problem is gone? What is the future that I want to build for myself? And making sure that we include things that aren't just career related. I know that people, uh, I know that it's kind of in vogue right now to do maybe quarterly reviews at work and go over some solutions-focused elements with with relation to the job. Um, like, what are your goals in six months, one year, three years, five years, and things like that. And I don't think that those are, are harmful by any means. I think that those are good things to think about, but they can sometimes be maybe a little bit overwhelming for people. Mm -hmm. And I think that they might unintentionally sort of promote this idea that your focus should always be on work, which we tend to have a problem with in Western society. So I'm going to say, take those sorts of vibes and apply it to every other aspect of your life. You know, like, what do you really, really want your life to look like that's not work related? And then sometimes that can help you solidify your identity a little bit better. I like it. I like it, too. I really like solutions-focused therapy. Like, I really, I, I really, <laughs> I'm a sucker for it. Like, I super <laughs> like it. Okay, the last thing that you could do would be to literally identify your values. And sometimes it's hard for people to just off the top of their head, write down a list of their top values. So one of the ways that you can kind of get past that and also make a little bit of a game out of it is, by doing something like a values inventory or a values card sort. So the idea would be that you have these this deck of cards and each card has a core value written on it, things like honesty, gratitude, integrity, uh romance, love, family, you know, and things like that, and you would literally put the cards in different categories. Sometimes it's three categories. Sometimes it's five, but essentially you rank them from like, I care the least about these values to I care the most about these values. And then once you have them sorted, if you have a ton in your care the most about category, then you need to reduce that number down to say no more than 10. And then you would pick kind of the top three to five and really reflect on what those values mean to you. And Use that to help drive your decision making. So when you're faced with a work dilemma, when you are thinking about uh, whether to make social plans, when you're thinking about a different career opportunity, you can apply those core values that you've identified to that to sort of help you make that decision. And having identified those core values will help solidify your personal identity and Sort of prevent someone else from imposing their values onto you, which is an aspect of having work as your identity, is that the values of your workplace seem to kind of take over. This is a way to put your values at the forefront and make sure that, you know, what you're doing with your life aligns to your values. Because if there's a big values mismatch between what you believe and what you're doing, that alone leads to tremendous stress and moral distress, like we talked about earlier. <laughs> thoughts jj recommendations disagreements i mean push back
1: if you i don't disagree i was just trying to think of like um examples of and one of the things that popped to my head and i don't know if this actually applies in this area it's just what came to mind was it's been my experience in different jobs that i've had as a tech that you're supposed to go with the flow like you know when you go into a new position, things that the way you did things before, you're supposed to, you know, forget that. Do the do the things the way that they want you to do at this new place. Which great, but if things at the new place interfere with like what you are, what you believe is going to be what's best for the animal, then it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. So. There, if someone tries to be like, "Oh, you know, you, you just need to go with the flow. You just need to. This is how we do things here," and I would be like, mm. "But that that causes a, a a moral moral distressful situation, morally distressful situation." Mm-hmm. I Absolutely. don't know if that totally applies here, but
0: I think so. I think so because part of this distress, this distressed feeling when we have a moral dilemma is the feeling of a lack of power to address it. And Mm. so if you are uh, confident in your identity and confident with your core values, and you're picking up on these distress signals of, man, this is really violating what I think is right. If you have that strong self-concept, you are going to be more likely to be healthfully assertive about that, instead of just kind of going with the flow and keeping quiet, which weirdly makes your symptoms of moral distress worse.
1: Yeah, I've kind of been on both sides of that. Yeah, generally, even when I do speak up, I still doesn't always. I don't always have any type of power to change anything. But sometimes I've, I've, I have. Sometimes I have. So I guess it just you know pays to still speak up if you feel like something's not good or right or what's best for the critters.
0: I I am of the same opinion. I think it does pay off, although it might not financially pay off or pay off with your popularity. <laughs> yeah. Um how does it pay off exactly? Let me think about that. It pays I can off sleep with at night. Personal satisfaction. Yeah, JJ, okay. Peace. Peace and tranquility, which is different than being popular, right?
1: Yeah, cuts down on some of those intrusive thoughts a little bit.
0: Yes. You I might. did the I did the best that I could do is mm-hmm. a valuable thing to be able to feel confident about. So, I can't guarantee to anyone ever that when you are being healthfully assertive uh, about an ethical or moral dilemma that no I can't promise no one's gonna yell at you okay I can't mm-hmm. promise no one's gonna fire you or treat you like shit or tra- create a hostile work environment like I can't I can't promise any of those things. People really want me to promise. Those things or to like figure out some language that's going to prevent them from getting like harassed and yelled at or bullied. And I'm like, there isn't one. Uh, the thing that prevents that is working for people who don't suck.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, if, I mean, if to that happens, then that tells you, hey, you you don't you don't need to work here anymore. Yeah,
0: absolutely. One of the common themes that comes up. I think I can say this. Let me just think about this for just a second. How I can say this. Yeah, I can say that. One of the common themes that comes up for my clients in therapy is this idea of, you know, I need to be able to be assertive, but I hate it when people are mad at me or don't think as well of me or I'm inconveniencing them. And, you know, the, I always tell them we got to think about the F word and the F word is not fuck it. I was I to say, is it fuck them? Nope. I mean, <laughs> you could I mean, so maybe. But the F word I'm talking about is feedback. It's feedback. If you if something that's part of your core values and identity is so distressing to someone else that they snap and rage and yell and try to fire you and do all these terrible things, that is feedback about whether it's healthy for you to continue to interact in the same way that you had previously.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Feedback. The F bomb feedback.
1: Get your feedback and Fuck right on off.
0: (laughs) The last thing that I'll mention is to attempt to purposefully create or cultivate interests and passions that are not veterinary medicine. Okay? So, JJ. Yep. Just real quick, give me an example of a passion that you have that has nothing to do with veterinary medicine. Go.
1: Music.
0: Boom. Beautiful. So, JJ could then use that to decide on options for improving her relationship with that part of her identity because that has nothing to do with veterinary medicine and that is going to be an important part of self-care. I really have a passion for like gardening and conservation and things like that, so uh that could be an area that I focus on improving that has absolutely nothing to do with veterinary medicine or me going to work every day. So having those outside interests uh will help be a protective factor for you if you have one of those work disruptions that we mentioned earlier. And that, I think, is about everything that we have time to cover as far as identity and core values today, JJ. Okay. But before we round out the episode, I did just want to give a shout-out.
1: Ooh, this is exciting.
0: It is. So I just want to give a shout-out to listeners Allison and Julie. Hey. Who posted to Facebook to let us know that our episode on Juvenile cellulitis, which is puppy strangles. That was episode 4.2, titled That's Not a Cervix. (laughs) Anyway, that episode helped them identify a real case of puppy strangles at their ER practice. Get it. And they posted photos of the little dog with its symptoms. And I was so excited.
1: That was a cute puppy.
0: Then I texted it to JJ right away. Mm Mm-hmm. So I will say that the day that that came across, I was having kind of like a low day as far as like, the things I do don't matter, you know, very dramatic, okay? And I got that message and it was just, it snapped me right out of it. I was like, aha, we helped one person, okay? (laughs) I too. Two people. We helped two people with this one dog, okay? So if we have done at least that, then that makes everything that we do worth it, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So good job, Allison and Julie. Thank you for letting us know. Yes, thanks for letting us
1: know, and y'all keep doing the good work.
0: And I hope your patient is doing well. And pet it for us. And pet it for us. Please give it tiny kisses on a forehead. (laughs) If you have stories, cases, or anything else you'd like for us to read, please send it to introvetspodcast at gmail.com.
1: And you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and it's at introvets. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help.
0: Yeah, it do. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.